liberty lockdown please scan your barcode your liberty ain't gone but yeah it's on hold where did it come from and where did it go it requires a fight not tweeting from your phone don't need a king get him off the fucking throne if you're riding with the thought you've always got a home the virus is scared of will come and it'll go the government knows this don't get treated like a hoe Today I had on the great Thaddeus Russell. Yeah, Thaddeus Russell, live in the building. Actually, via Zoom, Zoom, but it's the same difference. You know what I mean? Uh, we get into lots of fun stuff, like deep, deep. I piss him off by asking him about uh, postmodernism. <laughs> Oops. Uh, but other than that, I think we're fast friends. And I, uh, I can't wait to check him out at the Mises event this Friday in Visalia. Uh, him and Hotep Jesus will be there. They've both been on my show. I, I don't even know what's going on. I don't understand it. I'm just getting all these big guests and it's just so fucking cool. That's all I can say about it. And I couldn't have done it without you guys because you listen and you love it and you talk about it and you share it. And I'm just so appreciative deeply from the bottom of my heart. It's amazing. If you guys want to continue to support the show, uh, go to iTunes and leave a five-star review if you leave your social media, I'll shut you out on the show. That's always a fun little bonus. Over 200 reviews already. Amazing, amazing support. And speaking of support, go to crash.co backslash daily to sign up for the daily job hunt. They're the sponsor for this episode. They are amazing. What it is, is a daily newsletter that hits your inbox every morning. And it's just a couple minute read. Gives you some education, inspiration, fires you up, kicks you in the nuts, gets you going. I absolutely Love the product. My good buddy, Isaac Morehouse, is the founder. He is brilliant, and I think you will absolutely enjoy the product. If you are interested in getting in a more sustainable career path or just bettering your life, getting getting going, uh, given what we see coming economically, I think this is the time. Don't waste another minute. Go to crash.co backslash daily to sign up for the daily job hunt. I think you will be very happy with what you find. Let's get into the show. You are listening to the Top 10 Comedy Podcast in Bermuda and a Top 50 Podcast for Politics in Estonia, to which I say, what the fuck? <laughs> this is Liberty Lockdown. Today, I have on the founder of Renegade University, the host of the Unregistered Podcast and the author of A Renegade History of the United States, the great mm. Thaddeus Russell. Mm. My goodness. I feel like I should fight somebody now. <laughs> <laughs> I like to I like to do the the hype reels when I have this big is guests. good. I like I like I now also feel permission to smoke a little weed too. Oh please, nice. no, yeah. I could get from the vibe from the vibe. Yes, absolutely. Good. Please, good. Um, so you, I'm gonna actually I'm gonna posit a question that you posited yesterday on Twitter. Oh. Why are people with left wing politics the most adamant supporters of lockdowns and masking? Wasn't that today? Oh, maybe it was this morning. I don't know. <laughs> Clint, you don't even know me. I'm sorry. <laughs> Uh, <laughs> I just quoted you. Come on. I know you a little bit. Yeah. Isn't it a trip? I mean, it is and it isn't. I mean, so part, I mean, I, you know, I can get, hmm, what am I trying to say about this? <laughs> it's, it is, it is simultaneously surprising, might maybe even shocking and not at all. And, right. or I should say, and to be expected. In other words, so, I mean, there might be some listeners who don't know my basic past is from the left, born to like super radical revolutionary socialists in the 60s in Berkeley. And like I was that person until I was like about 32, right. three, something like that. And I am 55. So I've been out of it for a long time. But um, 
I so I know the left in my bones, in my bones. And then I lived in New York City for 17 years and I was an academic for 25 years. And so I know these people like all the way through. This is why they shit their pants when they see me. (laughs) (laughs) This is why, you know, Ben Burgess, who is one of our instructors now at Renegade University, that's that's one of the reasons he is an instructor is that he's one of the very, very few leftists who has the balls to even talk to me. Oh, wow. Um, in a in a in an antagonistic way, like right, he right, and I right, right. he and I debated like and I think he's the only leftist I've debated. I've had I've had lots of lefties on my show, mm-hmm. um, but it's never a debate. I mean, I will I will take them into murky water, but then I will just let them swim in their own murky water for a while and then we will swim out of it. And so in other words, I'll let the audience see the implications of their arguments mm-hmm. and I will assume my audience is more than smart enough to figure it out on their own, what to think about it, right? I don't need, they don't need yet another argument against Medicare Medicare for all or whatever the fuck it is, right? <laughs> right. Um, so, and I, it's, and I'm much more interested in sort of like why people think the way they do about politics. That's kind of what my podcast is about. Mm-hmm. Right. I think if I were to dis- I've never said that before, by the way, I think if I were to dis- to distill unregistered, that's what it- it's about. Why people think the way they do. Yes. And, and Most, it's also also yeah. about having, uh, you know, dissidents on that, you know, aren't hmm. really welcome elsewhere. Oh, yeah. Beca- well, because they're the only interesting people. I mean, I agree. Why- Sure, I could have on, you know, Katie Couric and like get into like <laughs> why she is an extremely boring normie <laughs> liberal. Um, but other people are there to do that job. You know, yes. that's what M- that's what NPR is for. Um, right. So yeah. But um, so where were we? I was that. I forget what. Oh, took but me down you were path. saying you know the left, and and I'm we're trying to oh. figure out why are the people on the left so you know so, okay. supporting of lockdowns and masks. So it took an hour to establish my credentials. Okay, now <laughs> I can now I can answer. <laughs> I love I love that you felt the need to establish your credentials as if as if people need well, to you know. No, no, it's important. I mean, I really do know these people. Um, no, I know, I know. And I, and I was one of them, and I really do know the thinking. So, so th- the left-wing mind is a complicated thing, right? It's um, inst- so complicated, I, I, I don't understand it. Yes. I mean, it, it is and it isn't. God, it's so paradoxical. It's funny. <laughs> I hate to sound this way, but it's true. It's, I guess it's something I'm... And this is what... It was a serious question on Twitter. I'm still trying to figure it out exactly. Okay, so what I can do for you, I can proffer, oh, a good half dozen, maybe 10 or 12 reasons why the modern American left would be so adamant about lockdowns and masking. I already knew that before I wrote that Twitter, that tweet. I would imagine. I had, and I've made them publicly on my show elsewhere. I have presented on Tom Woods show. We did an, Tom Woods and I did an entire episode on just this question, by the way. Um, I missed that one somehow. Yeah. And so I, I, I put forth at least a half a dozen um, reasons for why the left would do this. Okay. It's simultaneously, simultaneously though, and maybe this is just that I am still working out the Oedipal conflict in my childhood, you know, still, you know, even though I'm an old man, still like working out this conflict with my parents or something and haven't quite resolved. I don't know. Like I'm still like disappointed, I guess. Mm -hmm. I guess that's fundamentally what it is. Like me, yeah, and that's really my thing with the left in general. It's like you people, when I was growing up, I revered you, number one. Number two, I knew for sure in my heart that you were the smartest people in the world. I knew for sure yeah, because you all were professors and you all read books and you all knew what the Re- Russian Revolution was about. And so you had to be right. And, 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 yeah. and now they are 
psychotic nutbags. I mean, I don't even know. And, and stupid too, stupid because they never have to actually debate anyone on fundamental issues. Yeah, well, I, I think that's, that's the key right there is that <laughs> if you have an ideology that is basically totalitarian and you don't have to, and any dissident thought doesn't have to be addressed, how, how are you to, well, no, how are you to hone it? How are you to ever like correct it's, course? If it's you not that perspective? it's not that they're totalitarian. That's not the reason that they're stupid. The reason that they're stupid is that they run the place and they don't have to, they don't have to debate. They don't have to fight. Okay. Fair enough. Yeah. They run all of the major cultural institutions in the country. Arguably, they even run Fox News now. If you if you if you are if you are a follower of the MAGA movement, as everyone who cares about politics should do, but no one does because to even watch them is to be you know is to consort with the devil or whatever. Right. But you will. I mean, if you listen to the whole Trump wing of the Republican Party, which is the dominant wing now, um, you know the republic the Republican Party to them, the establishment Republican Party, it's all the same to them as it's one big progressive globalist blob, which I think is right. I, th <laughs> like, I think it's, I think I, it's I think, pretty accurate. Yeah. I think their analysis is right. Um, I think you have like, I think there's basically three, is that right? Yeah. I, there's basically three political parties in the United States right now. Okay. So you have, you have the Mag, the MAGA Republicans. Mm -hmm. So that's pro who knows half to two thirds. Um, and it's, I think it's taking over. I mean, I don't, which is really interesting. Like I'm, I listen, I watch Bannon every single day. I'm fascinated by this thing, like watching, it's a big deal what's going on. And like Huge. most people ignore it. Like no one's yeah. what's going on in the whole election thing that's still going on the audit. I mean, whatever, it, whatever your position on any of this is right. And of course I'm like polar opposite of Steve Bannon on like 10 different issues. Right. But these people are, it, there's a massive movement here that is not just in the United States either. It is global. Mm -hmm. I mean, there's a global nationalist populist movement. They coordinate together. They communicate to, with each other. They are allied with each other. I mean, Bannon has Nigel Farage on like every week on his show, right? Yep. And he's down with Bolsonaro. He's down with all the, the dude in Hungary. He's down, you know, the, they're like a crew. All the, all the French OGs, you know, the, the, they invented nationalist pop, populist nationalism. Right. You know, they're all best friends. Um, it's a fascinating development, no matter how you feel about it. Like, you should be paying attention, you know? Yeah. And and who they're fighting is precisely the thing and the people who the left, the real left, the left left, the radical left, right. and libertarians have precisely been fighting their entire lives. It's the reason for being a raison d'etre. Yep the radical left and radical libertarians, right? The people I hang out with. Um, our target is exactly the same target as the Bannon Knight's target. I, I agree. And, and their analysis, let me, let me say this. Am I right about this? Yeah, I think I'm right about this. I think, I think Bannon's analysis of what is now called globalism is better. I think it's, I think this is right. I think it's probably better, the more, most sophisticated, most intelligent, and the most correct, in quotes, analysis of that thing that, that has been, that has been analyzed by people on the left and some liberty and libertarians, 
like Murray Rothbard very famously and a whole shit ton of left-wing scholars, like true radical left-wing scholars right. for, for since the 1960s. Um, I think that's th fair. And, but I think, I think that Bannon's analysis of what this is about is like, I, and it he scares me too. Cause it's like, he's, he's dragging me into the anti-China waters, which I was refusing to get into six months ago before I started listening to him every day. And I'm still not <laughs> yeah. sure. I mean, I, I really appreciate that he and they consistently without fail say, we do not want a kinetic war. <laughs> right. Um, but nonetheless, the belligerence is through the roof, you know, and it's unclear if they did take power on a permanent basis or semi-permanent basis. In other words, like if Matt Gates wins in 20 whatever and holds two terms and Marjorie Taylor Greene holds the next, you know what I mean? Like, mm -hmm. like the Democrats have done, you know, um, would we have a fucking world war featuring China versus the United States? I mean, I, you know, solid possibility. <laughs> this is oh, why I would, this sure. is why I would never vote for them. And this is one, one of 10 reasons why I am not on their team, but their analysis of essentially the collusion between the Chinese Communist Party, progressives in the United States, and social Democrats in Europe, which I've never heard them state it that way, but that's, that is, that's how I describe what they're talking about. Mm -hmm. That's a remarkable thing. And I had never thought of it that way. And I, well, no, sorry, excuse me. I didn't know this. Right. <laughs> I, I really did not know, not anywhere near to the extent of what it is. I had no clue how mobbed up <laughs> by the CCP the universities are, although I had been teaching in the goddamn things for years, noticing lots and lots of Chinese students all of a sudden. Right. I knew I knew we were getting Chinese money, but I thought it was in that form. I just thought it was tuition from rich Chinese parents in like Beijing, sending their kids to America to get a fancy education. No, mm -hmm. no, 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 no. A little I, bit more I, than that. No, like I, I taught at Rinky Dink Occidental College. I mean, it's, it's an elite whatever quote college, but it's still like a fucking stupid place with a bunch of kids. But it has like this national institute, not an, it has this institute there that is has a formal alliance relationship with, I forget, I forget the name of it. It's like the third or fourth most prestigious university in China, which of course is state owned, state run. Mm -hmm. That's CCP. Mm -hmm. So that means that means Occidental College in Los Angeles, where your cute little sons and daughters go. Um, has a formal relationship with the Communist Party of China, which we all know does very naughty things to lots of people. Yes. Um, I mean, it, and no one gives a shit. Well, see, the, the only reason I don't get caught up in the, the <laughs> concerns with China is because I'm, if I knew that we had a moral high ground in our governance, it would be much easier for me to focus on this external enemy. In my opinion, the more imminent and present threat is the American government. Is that a fair assessment, or do you think that China is still more of a danger? Sorry, do you need to do something? Plant, sorry, someone just knocked on the door. Oh, yeah, go for it. Hopefully, it's not a Fed. Hang on. <laughs> <laughs> oh, seriously, I've been, I just had Daniel Shaver's widow on my show. Oh, I know. I was going to talk to you about that a little bit later. And so, you know, I've had to watch the video many times for that reason. And I mean, recently I'd watched it before, of course, but mm -hmm. like in the last, in the last week, you know, I've had to like, it's been in my head. So like, Goodness. I heard a knock on my door. I mean, I actually, I got my heart started to race, you know, oh, like man. when I, when I said, I hope it doesn't, wasn't, isn't a fed. I mean, 
And I wasn't actually worried about a fed. I was worried about a stupid cop like that asshole. Yeah. You know, in Mesa. I, I feel you, man. That yeah, was an incredible we, episode, but I, thank look, you. before, Sorry, before, yeah. before yeah. we get there, uh, is it, is it fair to be more concerned about our <laughs> local government than, than worrying about some external threat? Oh yeah. I, well, I mean, it depends, but yes, in this case, I believe so. As far as I can tell, like I have seen, you know, who knows, like the Belt and Road Initiative, right? Which is an amazing thing. Yeah. Um, you know, I was saying the other day to somebody like, okay, it could be the case that there will come some day where like in one of these, you know, like Marvel superhero movies, all the roads and bridges will like, suddenly there will flip, uh, a switch will be flipped in Beijing and all of them will like rotate and turn upside down and there will be like gun turrets, you know, lining <laughs> the entire beltway from fucking, you know, <laughs> Uh, Shanghai to fucking, you know, <laughs> Portugal. And they'll just start <laughs> with with howitzers and missiles and shit. You know, that's that's a possibility. OK, it's possible. I just haven't seen the evidence for it yet. <laughs> uh, the way I, the way I view it, China is enacting a much kinder, general or gentler version of imperialism. Uh, they're basically yeah. they're using Pure. economic means to control right. people as opposed to military means. And and if you're going to be an imperialist nation, I would prefer the Chinese model to what America has done over the past 50 years. So I don't yeah. know. It's, it's hard for me to look askance at China, given yeah. all of our behaviors as of late. And that's the only reason that I'm focused, you know, largely sure. at home right now, because I feel like it's that imminent. Like the, sure. the people that are running this country in particular are such you know, clear and present dangers compared to what yeah. China will eventually be. You know? So, okay. So I used to, I used to sh yell, I still do at people who conflate like Hotep Jesus is a great example, but there's a lot of people who do this. Um, progressivism, American progressivism with communism, mm -hmm. you know, which is like this, that's like an old right wing thing to do. Like that goes back to McCarthyism, right? Where every liberal was called a commie for a while, you right. know? Um, However, <laughs> however, this is one of the things that Bannon has, you know, done to me. Um, the most fascinating and brilliant political analyst and strategist of my lifetime, by the way, Steve Bannon, in my view, and his, wow. his, his debate with David Frum a few years ago, mm -hmm. the Monk debates, it was in Canada. He did it. Every that is must watch for everybody and interested in politics in any country in the world. It's incredible. And Bannon just wiped the fucking floor with that neocon little piece of shit. <laughs> I fucking hate David from so that's great to hear. <laughs> well, and he's he's also until then he was considered to be, you know, one of the smart ones. I mean, oh my God, Bannon, it was and the and the audience was like seething with hatred toward Bannon. He had him won over by the end of it. it this Incredible. was like this was like mid TDS. This was like peak TDS too. This was like 2017 or 20 something like that. Right. People were fucking losing their minds about Trump and Bannon had just gotten thrown out of the White House or for yeah. allegedly for being too much of a Nazi. I mean, he was remember what they thought about Bannon. Right. Yeah. Oh, yeah. He gets up on stage in Toronto, which is like one of the most SJW places on Earth. And he like owns them anyway. Amazing. Um, so what he's done is he has pushed me considerably toward the position that. I okay yeah I guess this is how I'm gonna put it the Chinese communism its current its current iteration which by the way is hardly orthodox communism obviously yeah, sure. right we all know that um, and contemporary American progressivism 
are converging. I think that's fair. Are converging. And now there's some interesting pieces there too that I that I had noticed. The the really the heart the nastiest piece of that would be what I would call sort of the Maoist cultural piece, mm-hmm. which is the and this comes not from like the Clintonite wing. This comes from the like the new the new what's called by idiot right wingers woke wing, the identity politics wing. Mm-hmm. Um, is the cultural shaming? Yes, as the main means of advancing political agendas. It's a very powerful tool. And that's that that's Mao. That's straight up Maoism. So like the Stalin, you know, in Stalin, they in Stalin Soviet Union, they didn't they did a little of that for sure, but they were more interested in just removing you if yeah, you were a problem if you were a problem. power play, yeah. Yeah, more threat of violence mm-hmm. and death and all that. Um but but the whole cultural revolution in China in the 50s and 60s and 70s was entirely about it's what happens in college campuses now, which right. is people get called out and shamed for being a member of whatever, you know, the bad class, mm-hmm. you know, in in China, it was the capital, the so-called capitalists or the bourgeois, whatever, you know, now it's now it's about race and gender. Right. Um, but um but just the use of shame in that way, which mm-hmm. is unique. I mean, that's that's an odd way to do politics, you know. Um, so that's a that's a clear convergence, right? There's the um, there's the social surveillance, right? Which people don't, you know, a lot of people. Don't, your audience will know this, but a lot of people really have no clue that progressives invented the FBI. Mm-hmm. I wrote a piece, I think yeah, it was Reason. Yeah, I think for Reason magazine um, about the war, the history of the war on drugs. And I found out, I didn't even realize this. Yeah, it's totally, not just that it was founded by Roosevelt, Teddy, but like the, I forget the name of the guy, the original director mm-hmm. of, the, of the, we're talking about the 1910s or aughts, uh, was a straight up progressive, like came out of the settlement house movement to, wow. you know, reform immigrants and all that stuff. I mean, and then, and then under the F, under Franklin Roosevelt, is when the FBI took off because right. he loved the FBI, and funded them heavily, and they they quadrupled in size. It was a progressive thing. Um, it's not this, not entirely surprising in hindsight. So the FBI was created by progressives, and then what was the next thing they created similar to that? The CIA. CIA yeah. You know, Harry Truman, whose domestic policies were arguably the most progressive in American history, except maybe with the exception of Lyndon Johnson's. But if you look at Harry, what Harry Truman wanted, the fair deal, he didn't get all of it. But if you look at what he wanted, which was called the fair deal, mm-hmm. it was like the tantamount to the Green New Deal. It was that it was like straight up. We would be Sweden if Harry wow. Truman. I actually hadn't heard about the fair deal. That's oh, yeah, idea. yeah. It was the New Deal on steroids. Jesus. <laughs> so hard, like, hard to imagine. Uh, yeah, I, I mean, guess the yeah, the Green New Deal would probably be along well. The it same was it was his attempt. Arc. I mean, we would we would have been straight up Scandinavian social democracy if well, that had gone through. That's what it was, you know. Um, but so that guy, that guy, one of the most left wing American presidents of all time, he invented the CIA mm-hmm. and and gave them carte blanche to overthrow governments around the world secretly, you know, and whenever boy, they wanted. Did to. they? And boy, did they! <laughs> You know, I mean, and so that's another place of convergence between contempt, you know, the current Chinese communism and current American progressivism, right? The surveillance state. Yeah. And, um, and their pushes for uh, increasing 
censorship and regulation on social media that is largely from the progressives in the political sphere that are that are driving this and and it's it's so <clears throat> ironic because these are allegedly the people that supported and believed in free speech rights and now under their own you know new moral pretense of moral superiority it appears that they're just saying well yeah of course we believe in free speech as long as you say everything we agree with and it's it's just <laughs> mm-hmm. very frustrating to exist mm-hmm. under their hegemony yeah so the way they the way that both regimes control or each regime controls speech is somewhat different right mm-hmm. so all the but what unites them although i think that all the media in china is state owned i don't think there's any privately owned media. maybe there is but i don't think so um China in general is moving toward a corporatist model, right? Where it's the state and a, it's a private, where everything's privately owned, but the state manages it or, or directly controls it, but has some, has some direct say in what that firm does, right? Right. Which is, guess what? Again, that is, that's American progressivism. They invented that idea, you know, of it, corporatism. Maybe you can help me with this. What, what is the yeah. distinction between yeah. that, the corporatism, you know, government backing and privately owned, but backed by the government and dictate directed by them versus fascism. What is the, what is the difference there? Because to me, it doesn't seem like there is one. So no, there isn't. Well, I mean, corporatism was the basis of Italian and German fascism explicitly. Right. I mean, it was called that. Um, it was exactly how I just described it. Um, and so it just has to be paired with a little bit more dictatorial powers in so the, it's the, in the government. It's the economic. It's the economic theory and practice of fascism. Okay, is is corporatism. That's the economic component of fascism. So, corporatism by itself is not fascism, but it is a major part of fascism. Gotcha. And it, you know, it's the it's the economics of fascism. It's fascist ec- economics. Um, well, we we have that. So, what is what is the next phase <laughs> that would get us to the danger, like the really dire version of fascism? Well, I mean, <laughs> I mean, it depends on what you mean by dire. What's dire? What's the worst part of fascism to you? Well, I mean, are, are you arguing in favor of fa- fascism? That? <laughs> no, I mean, there's parts of it that are much worse than others, though. I mean, and it's also misunderstood. True. So I want to make sure people understand it. Like, it's not in, for one thing, it's not inherently imperialistic. That's true. It's nationalistic. But... It's not. I mean, um, yes, Mussolini and Hitler both launched imperialist wars, no doubt about it, not as imperialist colonialist wars. Okay. Mm -hmm. But they were limited in scope. I mean, this is not to say that they were like, you know, off the hook on the list of imperialists, but compared to other imperialists, compared to the people they were competing against, they were not interested. Right. In Mm -hmm. fact, they were both critics of international colonialism. Mm -hmm. Why? Because in Hitler's case, because it brought the Aryan race in contact with the savages. Why would right. you do that? Right? right. Which was, you know, people don't know this race. The real racists were mostly anti-imperialist for that reason, mm-hmm. because it, it makes it, sense because it led to racial mixing. Yeah. yeah so, makes sense. Like, it's like as an anti-imperialist, my my heritage is not the most sterling, you know, but still like it's it's important to know that. Right. Yeah, it is. Because people are so stupid. They assume if you're racist, that means you're wrong on everything. Exactly. But you're, but not on that. But no, they were they were great on that. They well, and, and that's funny because Dave Dave Smith always makes the same point. He's like, "Is is being racist the worst thing you can be?" If the, if anyone even struggles to answer that, they are borderline unreachable. 
Because, like, mm. obviously being a warmongering psychopath like Hillary Clinton is worse than Donald Trump having some bad, you know, unkind phrases about Hispanics or things like that. Like, to me, it's a, it's a slam dunk right. case. Like, right. I'm not saying either is good, but if you're going to make the, the argument that being a racist is the worst thing you could be, I would much prefer to have our country stop blowing up everyone overseas and have more of a, a nationalist attitude if I had to choose, if it was an A-B choice. Obviously, I would prefer neither, uh, but it doesn't seem like we have that option at this point. <laughs> you, know, it's, you know, it's most amazing to me about all the hysteria about Trump's alleged racism yeah. Um, is that, and I've studied it, Trump's racism. <laughs> it's pretty mild. <laughs> it's there. And I would say that it is basically identical to the way that more than 99% of Americans think about race. He didn't say a goddamn thing that I haven't heard said hundreds of times by people, by the way, of all colors. In right, fact, right. in fact, far more black people have said racist shit. Far more black people have said <laughs> yeah. racist shit near me than white people have. Um, <laughs> there's I mean, and I'm talking I'm talking about black people talking being racist against not just whites against everybody. Oh, yeah, like, yeah. you name it. And um, for the record, I enjoy it. I don't know about you, but I, when I'm it's around, it's often funny. Person, yeah, it's, all, it's often very funny. Race, it's hilarious. <laughs> Racism can be fun. See, if it were just, if it were only relegated to comedy, which it kind of was in the seventies. Like if you think, I mean, you're not, you're not old enough to know, but not like quite. the seventies was kind of when black comedy just really was its heyday. Like Richard Pryor, that's when his, sure. his prime black exploitation movies were big. Like, and prior gave birth to like a whole bunch of black comics and kind of there was this and and ethnic and racial jokes were like central to all that and like and white comics like did it too you know yep. they kind of said oh cool we're all going to make fun of each other's ethnicity right um and it was hilarious and no one ever got hurt physically or i don't even think feelings got hurt ever i never heard of that right nope um, but remember, this is like 70s. So this is post civil rights. This is this is like discrimination is now totally illegal. Um, right. And for a minute there, like it was kind of like that's and no lynchings weren't happening anymore. And, right. you know, it's it, it was like we had found an equilibrium where we and, could actually coexist. But, but race was still there. And like and what black, but what black comics mostly did um, was they made fun of white people, which is the best thing. I mean, that's so funny. I mean, that's also. Yeah. It's great. It's one of the great ironies of all time, right? It's like, yeah, they don't seem terribly oppressed by us, actually. They're making fun of how uptight we are. I right. mean, you know, so let's let's take that seriously, that critique, which is the heart of my book, you know. That's the heart of renegade history is whiteness as puritanism, as being the dominant culture, and then blackness as being the alternative in the culture since slavery. Oh, and this this thing that whites have gravitated toward because it represented freedom and pleasure that they denied themselves. Mm. But then they couldn't embrace it fully because to do that was to be a nigger, mm. was to be at the bottom, right? And so that's what, there's what a whole it? lot of scholarship. That, that's my own particular riff on that. No, I like scholarship, it. I, but, that's fascinating because yeah. I, I uh, you know, I am a product of 90s hip hop culture, you know, NWA probably molded much of my libertarian or ANCAP ness. The golden, the golden age, nice. Yes. Yeah. So it's yeah. it's uh it's true. I mean there there is a something there is something to be said for the rebellious nature and the the coolness that that we lacked in my in my little you know suburban upbringing that I found in 
media portrayals of African-Americans. I was like, this is fucking awesome. Like, I love black people. My my greatest sports uh, inspirations were all black, obviously. It's like mm-hmm. Kobe Bryant and Michael Jordan. They they were the ones that really molded me. And, and it's funny because much of their attitude, their swagger is what I carried into the business world because I wasn't a good enough athlete to go out and, and really achieve at a high level athletically. But I was you know, intelligent enough and business savvy enough to use that swagger and use that attitude for sales and, and molding my company. So it's a really, it's a really interesting thing. And, and I think that's why it's been so hard for me the past decade of this, this overemphasis on what, what separates us as people. And, and it just, Mm -hmm. it just breaks my heart because I, so much of me is, is, is a inspiration or, or has been inspired by, by, black people. And I, I absolutely love black people and I love this culture. And yet, (laughs) and yet we are, we are painted as each other's enemies. And I just think it's absolutely devastating. Well, it's even worse than that. It's, they are painted as eternal victims who can only be saved by you. Yes. That, that that pisses me off maybe more than anything by white people. Yeah. It's ridiculous. Which is racist. Yes. That's, that's a racist idea. It's white savior (laughs) complex. Of course. Yet that is what anti-racism is today. Right. Right. It's racist. Got to protect them. No, Black people can can only be saved if if saved at all. Now, there's a whole wing of it that says they can never be saved. <laughs> no, you're right. Yeah. That, no, that's Ta-Nehisi Coates. It's called Afro-pessimism. It's a whole yep. genre. It's a whole thing. I mean, yep. he says it's eternal. This will never go away. They will always be in the bottom. Their white supremacy is here forever. It's like, oh. But for those who say that they can be saved, which would be the reparations camp, hmm. it's white people. Right. Mm-hmm. That's reparations is white people say that will that that's what's going to make everything right is reparations. That is white people giving their money to black people. That's white people say it depends on white people mm-hmm. saving. That's what it is. Yep. Um, same with affirmative action. It's white people letting black people into their institutions. Yep. As if those are institutions that are necessarily places we want to be. Well, like, well, isn't that amazing? Should, like, they we ne- should, like, we shouldn't want to be there, but <laughs> why not question that first? Like in 1947, Harry Truman, he integrated the military. Yet it's like, oh, wait a minute. Wait, why we want to be doing this? <laughs> you know, it just got celebrated that I don't think anybody was like, I don't know, maybe I, this is an interesting research project um, for a historian like me. But I, I mean, I've never heard of anybody at the time being like, yeah, what? I don't want to go into the fucking military, you know? I mean, now that was happening like um, among millions of black men. And I've written about this extensively who were dodging the draft like a motherfucker. Like, yeah, nothing to do with it. But like uh, the official narrative, the official line was, this is what black people wanted and this is what they need. And this is great. But this is an advancement for black. Like how on earth is fighting in Vietnam an improvement for black people? It sounds like a w- massive downgrade to me. <laughs> Getting drafted, which is enslavement. They got right. enslaved. They were enslaved. They were drafted. They were enslaved to fight in Vietnam, a place they'd never heard of. Of course. And they got killed, which is worse than hello. It's worse than slavery. Right. And this this was good. This was a good thing. This was ra- this is this is racial progress. Oh, they they celebrate the integration, and then twenty years later they imprison their hero in Muhammad Ali for not being willing to participate. So, it, yeah. I mean, this is this is why and I and I think this is why I am so averse and why I didn't have an issue with people calling progressive progressivism communism because it's kind of the slippery mm. it's a slippery slope argument that like mm-hmm. certainly there are major meaningful differences between your average progressive and communism. However, 
over time, it leads there. And, and this is what I wanted to bring up. And it's fascinating mm-hmm. to me because mm-hmm. I discovered you being the guy on Joe Rogan arguing that gender was a social construct. That, and I remember it like it was yesterday. I, I listened to that and I was just <laughs> me blown too. away because it, con- it was the first time I had really heard someone in, in detail try to, to make that argument. And, mm-hmm. and now I have seen an arc in your evolution that makes me feel as if, and I don't know if it's just the past four years since you were on there and you, and you had that discussion or if it was 2020, which radicalized many of us, mm. have we witnessed the red pilling of Thaddeus Russell? Are you, <laughs> are you still the, are you still the guy who would, who would argue that gender is a social construct? And, and if oh, yeah. so, if so, do you, do you see why people that push back against postmodernism are concerned that these concepts seem to be used in a way that leads towards this insanity? No. Okay. Clint, 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 Clint. <laughs> I laid a lot on you. So postmodernism, I want everybody to listen very, very carefully. Postmodernism is the red pill. Mm. Interesting. All right. This is what I've been trying to tell you people. <laughs> Your frustration is palpable. I love it. For years. <laughs> for years, you fucking libertarians. I've been talking. Thousands of you motherfuckers coming at me. And like, the good news is many of you have been smart enough to see what I'm saying. Um, and there are now, by the way, there's like two or three libertarian podcasts that are devoted basically to this. Oh, wow. Oh, yeah. Um, <laughs> Birderkist Bird- is one. Oh, yeah. yeah. Um, Timeline Earth guys. And then um, who else? Oh, Pete's doing it a lot. Yeah. Um, and well, well, there's another give, one. Give me a Cliff's Notes. What? How is it that that postmodernism is the red pill? Can so yeah, it? man, this slander that like being po- being postmodern is not red pilled is like ridiculous. No, no, no. Sorry, yeah. I, I meant I meant red pilled <laughs> on the dangers of postmodernism. That's what I'm saying, dude. It's not dangerous. Okay. It's, it's where freedom is. It's where liberation is. It's belief. I t- just. Look, just take <laughs> Just believe me. OK, just believe me. You don't want an argument. Just feel me. OK, <laughs> feel my feeling. Feel my feelings, Clint, right now. And, I, and I now, feel the feelings. It looks it, it seems very frustrated. And I and I apologize. It's no, not, no, no. <laughs> not the intention. I am. I am gen- like this is a genuine. Um, it's a meme. And, and obviously you've heard right. it too many times. So, I mean, I've just I've done this so many times. I've had this. Right. I've done, and I can, I can refer people to like six, maybe seven appearances of mine in which I debate this point, but let me, let me do this. Let me, let me try this as a new, yet another tack on this um, to try to bend some libertarian minds in my direction here. Um, I think, I think the, the source of the conflict, the friction between me and many libertarians on this one issue is the fact that, as far as I can tell, sure, certainly seems this way with a lot of evidence, a lot of anecdotal evidence, <laughs> the libertarians tend to come from STEM-related fields. Yes. Either academically or professionally or both. Even you, if that just means, even if that means you're just a car mechanic, that's still STEM-related. Okay. okay. So it doesn't, you don't have to be fancy. You're not, you don't have to have gone to college to be from a STEM, in a STEM-related field, right? It's just, sure. right. Okay. So like literally a car mechanic is totally the same thing. You're yeah, basically no, an engineer. Right, okay. I'm I'm mathematics and, guy, so I get it. Yeah, uh, see, you're all it. Yep. Mm-hmm, right. Yeah. And and I'm not. 
Like I'm, I'm from the humanities world. And so in the humanities and even most of the social sciences, but all the humanities, like what I said on Joe Rogan is a mild version of the standard idea in the humanities and social sciences that I've never wavered from one bit since I first learned it in 1991. Hmm. I remember the day, I remember the moment I read the article that changed me on this. It's, it's Barbara Fields. Um, for those listening who are fans of Camille Foster, by the way, yeah. <clears throat> Camille is very much with me, at least on the race part of this. Camille is a huge fan of Barbara Fields. Okay, so there's your credentials, everyone. She is totally brilliant. She was on my show with, with Adam Rothman. Adam and I were her, were her students at Columbia as grad students. But she wrote an article um, in 89 that I read in 91 when I got there that is still like the classic article on how race is a social construct and how it's misused by historians, but by everybody as this thing that's like this biological or spiritual entity mm. that causes things to happen in history on its own, right? Which is retarded if you think about it just for yeah. half a second, right? It's nonsensical, sure. No, it's like it's an idea that was invented and then reinvented and reinvented and constantly reinvented, right? And it, mm. it changes each time it gets reinvented too. Um, so that's 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 a very, that's one classic, sim relatively simple social construction argument right about mm -hmm. race okay which i just made okay um and so so postmodernism like to me the irony is that yes libertarians have a hard time with it because they're from stem fields i believe and therefore are not used to doing that kind of abstract thinking i think that's fair um the thinking is much more linear yes. in in stem like and by the way I'm a motherfucking retard in STEM. Like I, we all, I have don't, our, we all have our own strengths. I get it. I mean, no, no, no. Like I don't think I could pass like a chemistry class in college. Like oh, I, don't, wow. okay. I, I really doubt it. I mean, maybe with a lot of tutoring, but I it think would if you be, applied yourself, you could do it, but I don't know, man. I was just <laughs> because like, well, at RU, we just, we did two courses that were basically STEM. Um, we did, 3D printed guns, which was amazing, um, with control pew. And so, so, cool. so it was just engineering, right? And I was, and I had just, I was just marveling at it. Like I was just amazed by what I was seeing, but I didn't know what the fuck they were talking about. Right. <laughs> I couldn't, and I couldn't, I tried, I tried really hard and I just could not. And I was just like, yeah, you're just, you're just not good at this, dude. It's fine. Take, <laughs> take the L. The next one, which we just finished last night, also amazing, was Vin Armani Introduction to Cryptocurrency. Yep which was great. And it was four sessions And that, you know, I definitely got more of because some of it's political, some of it's philosophical. Right. And especially, and Vin's so great at making it historical too and telling this amazing narrative. Like he's a really great storyteller. So like that, that helps the retard in me like follow. Right. But still like, uh, I still, <laughs> tripped, I don't know. It's still a struggle. Like, I think I got it. I think I got it, but like, it's, right. it was really hard. Um, So even though that I think is our fundamental difference and problem on this, what I'm saying really is that postmodernists are the best scientists. Hmm. That, that, the, that, the, that the ruling ethic of science, as I understand it, is, is relentless skepticism. Which would be a postmodern. Trait. Do scientists walk around? I mean, what they what do they do for a living? They dis 
prove things. Sure. They seek to disprove things. That's what they do. No, I think I think applied. And, sorry. And ahead. that mean and so that means never ever taking anything for granted for settled truth. Right. Nothing. 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 Including, do you exist? Do I exist? Are we really having a conversation right now? I mean, I don't spend my time dealing with questions like that, but I want to leave it open as a possibility that we are perceiving this totally different than what is real, or maybe that there is nothing real. Okay. Yeah. That's it. Clint, leave me alone. I, I had no idea this was such a sensitive area for you. I, I'm sorry. I, but so the reason- the Four reason years. I, four <laughs> years. I, I didn't of, know. Four years of people yelling at me every day. No, no. Let me say it again. When you're really? on Joe Rogan, when you're, it's every wow. day. Okay, well, somebody, somebody on the internet will say something to me about postmodernism or my Joe Rogan appearance or something. Every fucking day, Clint. <laughs> because you're a nice guy. <laughs> I feel the exhaustion of you. I had no idea, man. I'm sorry. But hey, no, no, no. This is actually reason. that was cool because no, no, no. It was cool because I, I gave like that was a brand new okay, angle, good. angle that I just invented for this. So I love it. I love it. That was good. Well, yeah. And the, the reason I brought it up actually is because and it's it's one of your professors, I guess you would say, in Ben Armani. He has yeah. he has kind of reinstilled in me mm. an appreciation for tradition and faith and mm. these other these other things that mm. I, I had not had. And my the reason I'm concerned with postmodernism in its effect on society is because I feel as if there are some things that we learn over time that mm -hmm. become so I don't know if inculcated is the right word, but, you know, baked into the fabric of society that if mm -hmm. you get away from them, which mm -hmm. I feel we have, you mm -hmm. start to see fissures in the fabric of society. And and that's what it feels like to me. And that's the reason I'm curious if you think that <clears throat> tradition and and the kind of Vin's worldview is a good counterbalance to postmodernism. Do you think tradition is an, is a creation of human beings or does it come do you think it comes from God or nature? I would say human beings slash nature. I'm not a big God guy personally. Okay. So maybe a little nature and maybe a little nature in there. Oh yeah. Yeah. Okay. Um, do you believe that um, we should be skeptical, not dismissive, but skeptical of the nature claim? Like sure. hold it open, open for oh, question. Yeah. yeah open yeah, to sure. question. That's all not yeah. settled, not settled. Do you think we should be, and this is the more important piece, do you think we should be skeptical, just skeptical, meaning like open to skepticism, I guess, um, of tradition itself, of the norms, the mores, the so customs? This, I always point. did think that. And I think that's the only or, shift I've had is that because of the turmoil it creates when people get away from tradition, it seems Whoa. as if there are some lessons that we have learned over time <clears throat> that obviously as, as Vin describes it, they would not have propagated. They would have, they would not have survived over time if there wasn't value to them. So when sure. you, when you get away from them on a societal level, where like mm -hmm. these, these truths that we had accepted for eons 
all of a sudden are thrown in flux and we question everything, that you end up with a potential for societal collapse. And, and it, it just, it begs the question of, is that what we're witnessing? And, <clears throat> and does postmodernism play a role in that development, perhaps? I, I'm saying, do you embrace free thinking or not? In other words, should we? I do. I, I, do. I thought so. I sure thought you did. So, I mean, and that goes for things that are traditional, right? We should be, we should, you would, if someone were a critic, a thoughtful critic of some tradition, mm -hmm. you would, you would welcome them in your society, right? I would, yes. Yeah. Okay. Then you're a postmodernist. Okay. Well, fair and enough. Or, or, or no, or not, or that there is no, then there is definitely no inherent conflict between you and postmodernism. I, I would agree, actually. I don't Hell think, no. I don't think there is, is a conflict there. I am simply saying, but is, are there some things that, that, but I want to go ahead. Oh, go ahead. Go ahead. No, you go ahead. <laughs> <laughs> I think, I think I, this is actually a postmodern experiment that we're having right here. I am, I am trying to think outside the box. I am trying to think to myself, yes, personally, I agree. I think that we should not, maybe not challenge, but examine even the, even our most deep seated traditions. I think it, I think it makes right. sense because as you said, a good scientist is constantly trying to disprove the hypothesis. Great. Just, it just seems to me that there are certain things that when they get challenged to the point of dismissal, yeah, that, that you just see oh. breakdown. Oh, 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 oh. Well, dismissal is not postmodernist, right? That's, that's, that's modernist. Okay. Modernists think that there is a truth, right? And they dismiss uh, things that they think are untrue. Gotcha. Right? Which is like, look at, look at the way the Democrats and Republicans talk about each other, right? F fake news. You're lying. No, you're lying. No, there is a truth. Yeah, I know there's a truth, but you're you're the one who's lying about it. You know, yeah. they both they both think that there's a truth out there, capital T, mm -hmm. but they just think each one's lying about it, right? Right. Um so um I forget where I was going with that. With that. <laughs> um well, do you do you think there's any any Oh, values? I wanted to I wanted to challenge you on tradition, but go ahead. Do oh, I, I think just, there's I was just gonna say, do you think there's any value in in uh, you know Vin's hypothesis that that spirituality like we're entering this, oh. this dim age of spirituality. No, go ahead, go ahead. I did make my point. Dismissing any any idea is anti-intellectual and anti-postmodern and I and anti-Thad Russell. So yeah. So okay, well then great. Then I think um, I think we we've settled that one. Yeah. Um, tradition. <laughs> Tell me, what are you worried about? What what things that have been traditional for as as you said eons? Are you worried about? Losing, I think, I think to me the like what the the biggest one is a I can't think of anything really that I care that's at eons old. No, that I oh, care about. No. Okay, maybe not eons, hundreds of years. I don't know what eons. Like is what? Like definition. what? What are you thinking of? Like, like the like, only thing I can think of is maybe the First Amendment. Yeah, culturally uh, it would be oh tra okay traditional values of of you know having having uh families, well, that's not, I mean kids as a, as a historian like you know that's five minutes ago. Right. I mean, uh, well, that's very, is, yes. Yeah. Okay. So I'm saying like pre-modern, do you have anything that you want to hold on to? Uh, I mean, still the, I think the child rearing is still important. What do you mean child rearing that there's, we should do? There's definitely, what's that? Wait, what do you mean by child rearing? Like having the, uh, whatever it's called, the normal family unit where you, you 
have kids and, and you have a family and you stick it out and you have like the husband and wife that that are there for the kids as they are raised the nuclear family you mean nuclear there we go okay so that's that's tiny percentage of the population has ever been in a nuclear family the nuclear family is a very modern very weird very western very american thing hmm, most okay. of most most of the world today does not have nuclear families in it interesting and 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 same goes for like the West, Europe, even, you know, 100, 200 years ago. And for most of human history, the nuclear family is a bizarre thing. Okay. Well, then that's news to me. I thought that it was much more of a but, standard practice. But let's say it weren't. Let's say it were normal. Let's say it had always been standard. Okay, what is, the fuck is it about the nuclear family that you like? <laughs> <laughs> I, think, I think that there's something to be said for having like what? Having the, the male and female energy and guiding a child as they learn how to evolve in this world. Why can't you get that? You can get that from something other than the nuclear family. You don't have to have like mom and dad. You can, in fact, you get you get more. You can get more of both from having an extended family. Do you, you get think, more more men and more women? Better, do you not think there's a, a a very special bond between a child and their mother and their father? Why not have more special bonds between children and adults? <laughs> Seriously. No, well, no. Do, if, I, we have, I, if we have a society that offers that, I don't think we have that. Do we, we have that? D- go to any immigrant neighborhood. That's the whole thing about immigrants is that they come oh, with extended families. Okay, right? well, then white, then white people lack that. I think when you have... And, and what did we say about white people earlier, Clint? We don't like them, right? Remember you and me? Wiggers. Remember you <laughs> and me? We're wiggers. We don't like people. That's the whole point. That's right. White. That's right. The nuclear family is white. Are you following still? Are you following? Yeah. Therefore, you're no longer have these conservative traditional ideas and we're good. <laughs> cool. What's next? Uh, all right, let's get into it. Um, Medicare for all? What do you want to do? <laughs> <laughs> no, 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 no. I, I would like to talk about your briefly with your conversation with uh, Lainey Sweet, Daniel Shaver's wife. Oh, wow. Okay. Um, <clears throat> Changing, changing tone and topic let's, radically. Let's yeah. Lower the gear. You want to, you want to end on a on a high note, huh? <laughs> I do, I do. Yes, this is the the happiest thing we could talk about. Um, Christ, yeah. It's well. For those that don't know, Daniel Shaver was essentially executed by the police in, in Arizona. It was, yeah, was. It's awful. If you've seen the video, it's one of the worst things I've ever seen. Um, Thad was nice enough to have her on his show, and it was amazing. Uh, I thought she was her her openness, her honest honesty, uh, the rawness with which she was willing to talk about everything she's gone through. I thought it was just heartbreaking, heart opening, eye opening, everything. It was just a a fantastic thing. So I'm just curious now that you've, you've had a few days or a week or whatever it's been to, to let it process. Is there any, any new things you took away from it that you'd like to talk about? Oh, first of all, thank you for saying that. Yeah. Um, I got to make up for that postmodern comment earlier. <laughs> yeah, it means a lot to me, that episode and the response to it, especially. Um, and yeah, I, she, right. My, your, rea- your immediate re- reaction was the same as mine, which is, wow, she's great. <laughs> right. And I knew like 60 seconds into it, that it was going to be a great interview. You can, I can just tell like the, the vibe and <clears throat> I, um, I don't know, you know, you may have noticed, but I came in with a very particular strategy, mm. um, which was to talk about just her, her yeah. for, a, for a long time. And, yeah, I, and yeah. I, wanted, I wanted that really to be, in a way, the story. Um, first of all, because as I said to her in the show, like, it's always bothered me, you know, the, I mean, I, I understand why it happens, but it just, you kind of get victimized twice in a way when you're like the, the loved one of a victim, because then you lose your identity. 
For sure. Then you have to goddamn be the leader of the political cause too, yeah. right? Like, shit, she's been doing this for five years, right? And Michael Bell Sr., whose son was killed by the Kenosha cops, what was it now, 17 years ago? Mm-hmm. He was on my show also last year. And he's been leading a campaign, like buying billboards. I mean, he's been like an activist full-time for this shit for that long, like going on two decades now. Mm-hmm. And that means reliving your son's murder every damn day. Mm-hmm. Or and with Lainey, you know, your, your ex-husband, your husband's murder every day. The 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 father of her two daughters <laughs> that i think that was the hardest part about what i learned from yeah it i didn't know i didn't first off i didn't know he had been married i didn't know he had kids Me he looked neither. so he looked so young in he that was. video i just assumed that he was like a single guy that was in a hotel that me too i knew nothing really about it so i think me for too. me that was that was the most heartbreaking thing about it and then to hear about the emotional turmoil and the financial struggles of, of her and her family in, in hindsight and the fact that the fucking cops are running her through the ringer. It's just like everything about it was like, ooh, infuriating, <laughs> just infuriating. She just told me an hour ago that sh- they're moving into a bus. They're getting a bus like re- outfitted to live in. Um, they're essentially getting evicted and um yeah. I, and I asked her if she could use any crowdsourcing help. You know? I was just going to say, like, let's get this going. <sighs> yeah, no, dude. I mean, it's been amazing how many people have like contacted me saying they want to help. Um, yeah, well, the main thing is money. So go to go to the D- Justice for Daniel Shaver GoFundMe. Okay. Um, there's there's two pages. Doesn't matter. They're the same. And it's to basically, you know, it's to help Lainey keep going because she's, it's been really hard for her to work as a doula, which requires, mm-hmm. she talks about it in the show. I mean, you know, obviously incredible emotional like availability, you know, as a doula. And Big she time. just, she finds that she can't do that given that she feels like she's bringing her trauma into everything and, you know, yeah. I, whatever, but. I loved your, um, I loved your observation that, that it's so the, it's just excruciating, almost beautiful, almost torturous irony in that, she is she is bringing life into this world and she is known for one of the most egregious deaths it's just like oh what a what a dichotomy i know yeah or i mean the way that she thinks about it it's almost like destined mm. in a way it almost i think i think that's the way she talks about it like it's something somehow meant to be or somehow i mean death and death and life death and birth are yeah twins you know yeah. yeah right so she's intimate with both um god who's who's more intimate with both right as a as a surrogate and a doula and a mother of two kids i know right <laughs> a surrogate and a doula and the mother of two kids Incredible. i mean she knows she knows about giving birth to children uh so thank you thank you yeah no um yeah anybody that's listening if you haven't checked it out please do it's it's really genuinely heartbreaking and heart opening like i said it's just it's just a tremendous interview and i i want to you know commend you for the the methodology you took into it oh yeah it it was absolutely brilliant as someone who now does a lot of interviews i was like that was genius it really was because to to get people to know her to care about her and her plight i think was brilliant because if you are actually interested in in getting a a movement sometimes it's not enough to get it for the deceased sometimes it's the survivors that can really 
because you can actually do something to help these people. Like it's, we can't bring Dan back, but we can really, we can really help them. So I, I think, I think that, I think we will. And I, I hope I have to be hopeful here. Yeah, I think so. Th yeah. Thank you again for that. Yeah. I, I came up with that. I forget when it wasn't too long before we did the interview. I mean, I had a few hours where it was like in my head already where I was going to, cause I, you know, I was nervous. I mean, I was, the thing I'm nervous about is getting emotional. I mean, that's for me always what is my anxiety because I'm really? very emotional. Oh yeah. Cause I mean, I've cried on my own show probably a dozen times, you know? Um, I like it when you let it go, man. I don't know. No, I know. I, and everybody likes it, but I'm, terrified of it you know it's just, and it's a thing it's been my whole life i've always been very emotional i've always cried in public a lot and like I've, but i've always been a terrified of it too like you know i just yeah so i that was my thing i was just like oh my god i'm gonna be there sobbing and she's gonna have to console me <laughs> i see i see i see right which would be just yeah I mean, you're like, that I just the, i don't want to burden her with my oh my own. god right yeah, which right. yeah i mean that's another thing that happens to victims loved ones they have of to course. do that too you know yeah. like i was just I was trying to think about what it would be like um, ap apart from the obvious mm -hmm. thing, you know, the, the obvious um, suffering you go through. Right. All the other stuff that people yeah. do, and it's all well-intentioned, which makes it even worse in a way because you yeah. can't escape it and you can't say anything and you can't find. So I was just trying to think like what after and five years of this, you know, I was thinking, what if I were her, what would I be so sick of hearing by now? You know, like See? here's, here's, here's so-and-so blankety blanks husband. Like, you know, like, <laughs> fuck. I am, I am absolutely taking this to heart and I'm going to apply it moving forward. I need to have more empathy with my guests. You have to think to yourself, what question has Thaddeus Russell heard 50,000 times since he was on Joe Rogan four years ago. Don't ask him that. <laughs> what are you fucking doing, man? Are you out of your mind? Uh, so let me let me get you out of here on this. That's awesome. <laughs> I, I, watched a, I watched a video. Uh, it was the Academy of Ideas on YouTube. If anyone wants to check it out, it's called The Manufacturing of a Mass Psychosis. Can Sanity Return to an Insane World? And, and it left me fairly convinced, and it's only a 12-minute YouTube video, but it seems as if we are experiencing a mass psychosis in this country. Oh, yeah. And yeah. and my question for you is <laughs> one, do you agree? Two, is it a psyop? Is this is this intentional? Is this is this just a product of natural totalitarianism type arcs as they like an origin story that you should just expect it to go there? Um, what do you think? Oh, okay. So I have to I have to make um a uh, very irritating postmodernist. <laughs> Here we go. Pre preamble caveat or some shit like that. Like, okay. so psychosis, the category itself, <laughs> mm -hmm. you know, Foucault's much of his writing and career was devoted to critiquing the, that, mm. in, that very thing, you know, the history of, and, and this is something that libertarians should immediately vibe with because it's exactly the, the teachings of Thomas Saz. Okay. Um, by the way, Thomas Saz was the great libertarian anti-psychiatrist who's who's work he wrote right around the same time as Foucault and they both wrote about the history of the asylum mm -hmm. and they both wrote about how basically the state used these categories of insane deranged mad crazy psychotic to put people away mm -hmm. right mm -hmm. and a lot of those people were just dissidents essentially sure you know or just countercultural. You know, they would just be called hippies or weirdos or punk rockers now, something like that. Right. Right. Or ravers or whatever. But um, <clears throat> so um, so I, you know, there's always an asterisk for me whenever I use that sure, term. Right. 
eh, that doesn't mean I don't use it. Like, you know, like the way I use retard, you know? <laughs> right, right. Um, so psych psychosis, if you look in the DSM, you know, the way it's, it's formal definition is essentially, it boils down to the, the a, psych a psychotic person is inhabiting a different reality than society. Right. The society they inhabit. Mm-hmm. That they that they that their perception of the world is radically at odds with the perception of the world of the culture they they physically inhabit, right? They see a very different world than all the people around them. That's that's the definition of psychosis. Okay, sure. now fans of fans of Liberty Lockdown and Clint, who am I talking about now? Guess us. who's psychotic? That's right, us. Every goddamn one of us. Yeah. Every I, goddamn one of us. So, I feel you. so be real. This is why every libertarian again should read Foucault. <laughs> I'm gonna that. I'm gonna. And stop talking shit about postmodernism, and you will love this guy. I promise you, you will love Foucault. I, I have learned. I have learned a lot about um, postmodernism. I guarantee you, so. you will love Foucault. Read Madness and Civilization. It's not even that hard to read. It's the yeah. history. Of the, it's the history of the asylum. It is anti-statist to its bone. It should be on every libertarian's reading list. Seriously, I'm gonna hit it. I'm gonna hit it. Um, so, having said all that, yeah, so so yeah. so so okay. So let's take that definition. Okay, so yes, we are psychotic. <laughs> um, well, no, I mean, we, our perception of reality, yours and mine and the audience's probably, mm -hmm. um, are, are radically different than most people in this society. True. Right? Um, like, and, and especially, I mean, and we're talking about political people, by the way. By the way, let's let's be really clear. Thank God almighty, most Americans are not political. Thank God. Yeah, no kidding. And those people I can hang out with, you know, <laughs> like that's fine, you know. Thank God. Can you imagine if like more can you imagine if more Americans were political? Holy Christ. I think that's the worst part of the past 5 years is that politics oh. got driven into people that oh. have no business talking oh about Oh my them. God, every grandmother had to yeah. hate Trump, you know? My <laughs> yeah, exactly. my my 81-year-old mother was talking about putting a bullet in his head. I mean, oh my God. For she did. I was like, "Mom, this is getting a little out of hand." Um so, <clears throat> so yeah, um yes, clearly according to those definitions, we are living in a psychotic age. The question is which is like who who is psychotic? Who is psychotic? I mean, now well, obviously, I believe that we are not the psychotic ones. <laughs> well, I think, I mean, I guess what, I, what I'm saying about things like the election, which I do 99% believe was rigged in some various ways that I don't think were all like tightly orchestrated, but I just think there was a whole lot of cheating that went on, you know? Um, like, I guess I'm, what I would say is, according to the epistemological standards of the society I live in, like the way that... Americans in 2021 uh, adjudicate questions and weigh evidence and what they count as evidence and all that. According to that set of rules, you know, I think the election was rigged, was stolen. Um, and I think that Democrats are psychotic. Okay. I think that I think that their I think that their view of reality not only doesn't comport with mine, I don't think it comports with the reality that their own standards of measurement 
are mm-hmm. telling us. Interesting. Right. In other words, the statistics. Mm-hmm. Okay. So, you know, fewer than 10 unarmed black people per year get killed by the cops. Every single one of those is a horrendous tragedy, especially if you're an anti-statist, right, everybody? Yes. <laughs> but then again, perception is there's thousands. But then again, I mean, I think I'm sure bee stings killed more black men. Probably. Yeah. I'm sure of it. <laughs> I'm sure of it. I'm yeah, sure yeah. of it. You know, and so, you know, and 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 so and there are other things in the criminal justice system that are arguably much more urgent than that. I'd say the war on drugs is way more urgent personally. Well, just that we have 2.3 million people in cages. Yes. Right. And probably half, all of us would agree, don't need to be there. I completely agree. Like, right, like everybody would agree. Yeah. Like, so like that alone, like that's should, I think be like, a more because these bad shootings, I mean, it's actually amazing how few there are. It is. And yeah, it is. Given okay. given the amount of enforcement and, and interactions we have, it is remarkable. Well, you just, just this 330 million people. OK, third largest, I think, in the country in the world. Um, somewhere between half a billion and one billion B guns. <laughs> right. Right. If I'm a cop, I don't love that fact. OK, <laughs> which is why I love it. <laughs> Yeah, but it also, but you got to see, this is the thing, both lefties and libertarians need to like inhabit the minds of cops a little bit more too. Like, sure. why, why are they so scared and yeah. pr- prone to do shit, you know, do lethal things when they're confronted with people, right? Um, it's because there's a really good chance someone's got a goddamn gun. You know, so, I agree with you that libertarians in particular need to be more empathic with cops, but I would also argue that it's vitally important that we get the message across that the police need to be more empathic with the people that they fucking allegedly protect and serve. See, I don't see, I don't think it's, see, uh, uh, no, the psychology no? of the cops, this, no, no, see, that's that's the whole thing the left wants is the psychology of the cops is the important thing. Let's get away from that. Fuck the okay. psychology of the cops. That's fair. It's about the laws, it's about the regulations, about the rules, about the number of cops, it's about the weapons they have, it's about what they're allowed to do. It's about the tools they're given, the weapon, the, the equipment they're given. It's about all that. It's about right. policy. Yeah, I agree. Get, get the fuck out of the heads of cops. You're never going to win that game. What are you going to, how are you going to eliminate racism from cops' heads? How are you going to eliminate brutality from cops' heads? How are you right. going to eliminate sadism? You're not, because in any society, even in Rothbard's anarcho libertopia, you're still going to have to have some people who are basically sadists who are the ones who enforce the rules. Sure his little court, private court system shit. Like really there's gonna, I mean, there's gotta be some dudes at the door at some point guarding the place, doing some security, right? right? And those are dudes who are not only big and tough and strong, they also don't mind hurting people. Right, they're dangerous, yeah. And there that's their people, job. Unfortunately, or maybe it's fortunate, I don't know. We have people who don't mind or actually like hurting people. And those are people <laughs> who become cops and, and prison guards and, Teachers. I was going to say it's school teachers. <laughs> All right. Last question. Yes, should, should Fauci be in prison? <laughs> yeah, here we go. You know, Cuomo was the only one I've, I've had prison lust for. I, because I hate prison so much, I, I have a hard time. Like, I don't, I don't want to put Hillary Clinton. And I mean, I think these people are war criminals. You know what I think of them, but yep. I don't want, I've never had even like that as a, like a fleeting fantasy. That you, you I, are a much kinder man than I when it comes I don't to have Fauci. Any, I've never had any like desire to hurt. I mean, Cuomo, yeah, 
but he's rare. Like I'm saying, and because he killed people and he did it like any, and he fucking like danced while he was doing it. You know, um, did you, did you read the recent reports about how Fauci was funding the, the Wuhan lab that was studying gain of function research? Like it's, it's like, it went from conspiracy theory to like mainstream reporting over the past 48 hours. So this is, this is where I'm getting my inspiration. Yeah. For, yeah. Put this motherfucker in prison. Oh, oh, for, for inventing the virus. <laughs> right. <laughs> oh, or, that. or accidentally, you know, whatever. For funding it, for funding yeah, it, right. which is most, which looks like that's most likely what happened. Right. Mm -hmm. He funded, he funded the research that led to the creation of this virus, right. How it, how it got out of the lab. We don't know, but I exactly. think it's pretty much beyond um, dispute that he, he essentially funded the virus. Not, not only did he fund it, but he gave them the exception to be allowed to, to do this research because there was a law saying that you weren't allowed right. to. And then, function. and then he signed off on it. So like this guy not only mm. was responsible for the funding that made it happen, but also for the fact that it was even allowed to be occurring in the first place. He is. And then talk about a conflict of interest. He's responsible for addressing the outbreak after the fact I'm, you know, I try not to go down the conspiracy theory route, but when you get all of this into one portrait in front of you, you're like, the okay. fuck is happening? All right. So we talked earlier about how Ch the Chinese Communist Party, how Chinese communism and American progressivism are converging. Yes. Right. <clears throat> so this would be a different kind of convergence, um, which is doesn't like the other convergence makes sense to me. So. But it's hard to avoid what Bannon and company are concluding, which is that, you know, what, what this was a gain of function experiment, right? Which yep. was, that's the weaponization of a virus. That's mm -hmm. the, that's so it's military use. Yep. Now, what is the world's leading superpower doing helping another country develop biological weapons? <laughs> this is what I don't understand. Unless, <laughs> unless, they have some plans to co-manage the world. Ah, uh -huh. so it's a, it's a duopoly. Well, we just talked about all the ways in which their ideologies and policies are converging. We didn't even talk about social credit, mm -hmm. which is part, you know, we're not there yet, as a, but we've got cameras in every corner pretty much in the United we're, States, don't we? Close, yep. Can you commit a crime and not be on camera now? It seems pretty hard. I mean, what's, when's the last time a crime was committed without video? Um, pretty rare, yeah. Right? Unless it's a cop shooting. So, yeah, exactly. So, <laughs> I mean, and I, that's the question even Bannon and company are not addressing directly. And I'm not, I haven't heard anybody address that directly. Like why in fuck's name is there a co-op? Well, we know that China did its uh, military maneuvers in Canada. Yep. How, why was that happening? Yeah. I mean, it, I mean, I mean on, on one level, like my peacenik side is kind of like for stuff like that, right? That's kind of detente-ish. You know, I mean, it's not as good as like disarming everybody and having no nation states, but like, as long as they're going to play their games, like I'd rather they get along, you know, of course, like of course. during the Cold War, you know, I was the, the, the left, the peace wing, the peaceniks where that's what we were for was detente. Right. Mm -hmm. So we called it, which, which was just cooperation, you know, mm -hmm. um, essentially what Trump wanted, you know, with with Putin is what we. But anyway, so I mean. So on one level, like. Okay, so China is like funding all these institutions and China and the United States and Canada are cooperating in military affairs. Well, that means they're less likely to go to war, which is the worst thing. So it's 
I don't know. I, I mean, it's <laughs> it's a tough balance. <laughs> this is a, it's a hell of a question. Yeah. And I need and I want to I've been looking for China experts to have on my show to explain all this shit to me because um, it's it's so opaque. It is. It's because it's a communist regime. This was the whole problem during the Soviet Union. I used to study Russian and Soviet history. That's how I started, actually, way, way back. Wow. Like during the Soviet Union, when I was an undergrad and early grad school. But um, that was when everything was still communist. That means like everything was totally secret. So it was like, right, to be an expert on the Soviet Union made you, meant you kind of just like read the smoke signals coming out of the Kremlin. So <laughs> the which made you didn't know shit. It was kind of funny. Like no one was really an expert. So that's kind of true now. I mean, no one's really an expert on the Chinese Communist Party. And, and well, and if there no is, one. if there is one, you'll never know it because it's so it's so uh, you know baked in this this anyone anyone who says anything counter to the mainstream narrative about China on either side, whether it's the CCP's version of events or it's the American government's version of events, is classified as a conspiracy theorist. Whereas the truth is obviously lying somewhere in between both narratives, and I don't have a fucking clue what it is. So, anyways, that that was why I wanted to ask you about it. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> um, yeah, but. But what's with the military cooperation? I, bro, I'm telling you, this is why I'm so nervous because it's like and I've never heard anybody discuss this except you and me. Oh, really? Well, Bannon, even Bannon, I've never heard them on War Room. I watch them every day. I've never heard them talk about that angle, like that it's a military, it was military cooperation. Yeah. What? Yeah, I know. And, and the what? most, uh, the most irritating thing about all this, I read this shit in like June. <laughs> And I and I sent it to some of my friends, and they were like, "Ah, you conspiracy theorist, crazy person." I, they're like, "What are the sources on this?" I'm like, I'll, "I'll grant you, they're not great sources, but like, do you expect to have good sources early on into a pandemic?" But like, they fucking nailed it. The reporting on it, I don't even it was totally. like the, it was like the Sun or something. It was some fucking you know rag, but they fucking nailed it. Nailed it. <laughs> so yeah. Oh, um, I know. I mean, Alex Jones and the New York Post have been way more accurate than the new york times oh, yeah. and, and pbs i mean way <laughs> way way more i mean they've been they've been proven i mean correct right about way more stuff proven yep even if way you discount stuff. the interdimensional child uh, what kind child. of a what kind of a fucking world are we living in that is yeah that is i guess it's psychotic there you go <laughs> that's a good way to end it uh, <laughs> all right man thank you so much for coming on Thaddeus. uh you can find him Renegade University, Unregistered Podcast, which was one of my favorites. And make sure you pick up his book, A Renegade History of the United States. And when you're done reading that, go pick up some Foucault, you piece of shit, Ancap. There you go. <laughs> Thanks, Clint. Only had one new five-star review write-up. We had 10 new five-star reviews, so I really appreciate that. But as far as the write-up, if you guys do that, you get red on the show so don't forget to do that don't just hit the five stars well do that too that's great uh, but if you want to get shouted out on air this is your opportunity we got i3utm says really enjoyed some of the podcasts i've watched on odyssey i have watched so far episode 83 with maggie and keith 81 with reed coverdale 78 jeremy kaufman 70, Hotep Jesus. 68, Hannah Cox. 65, Carrie Wedler. 63, Liberty Doll. 62, Dave Smith. 56, Chrissy Mayer. And episode 49 with my boy Magnus Panvidia, who will be on Josh Smith's show tonight uh, with uh, Break the Cycle. It says, uh, I could not see any more due to the fact that you probably started your Odyssey channel at the beginning of the year. I am also on a podcast, but I usually co-host, and I agree with a lot of what you say. Thanks. Well, thank you, I3UTM, or autumn maybe 
Uh, really appreciate it. If you guys want to support the show, go to iTunes, leave a five-star review, put your social media in the write-up, and I will shout you out on the air, get you some followers. Just my way of saying thank you for you saying thank you to me. And if you really want to support the show, go to teespring.com backslash liberty-lockdown-podcast to pick up some of our merch. They're freaking cool-ass shirts that my boy Top Lobster uh, created the art on. He's a beast. These shirts are rad. I wear them all the time. You've probably seen me do it on air. And if you want to support the show, that's a great way to do it. I will catch you tomorrow with another banger of a lineup. I'm going to keep it a secret for now, but you guys will not want to miss it. Talk soon. Big shout out to everybody that's been with me since Jump Street. Appreciate y'all. Welcome to Liberty Lockdown. Please scan your barcode. Your liberty ain't gone, but yeah, it's on hold. Where did it come from and where did it go? It requires a fight, not tweet from your phone. Don't need a king, get him off the fucking throne. If you're riding with the thought, you've always got a home. The virus is scared of, will come and it'll go. The government knows, just don't get treated like a hoe. Like Nico and Shane, you're probably wondering what's happening. Scared Hollywood left these lyrical feminine. A typo with Luke might bring them nooses. We all bite the bullet, I'm the king of the gooses. Freckles and Brit, didn't know I could spit. Knew I was a patriot, but now I'm a shit. Peter Quinones invite me on Which podcast sends custom songs Part of the problem, now I stand with the people Dave showed the way but I am unequal Lions of Liberty now hear me roar Beat running out but I got a bit more Robbie the Fire always running his mouth But I made him a sandwich, now I'm man of the house The malice for Nick, but you're welcome to quit A win over BLM with the fire I spit Friends against government just call us fags Copy the Cairo, put mummies in the bag Liable opinions get thrown on the ground Silky Smooth Tom was the only sound Getting so hot must be air July Screaming in the mic A rip of 59 Miles to ratio That black guns matter Now all these lefties Got crazy small bladders None of us wanted war But we're ready You know I be bopping And rock steady Liberty lockdown Please scan your barcode Your liberty ain't gone But yeah it's on hold Where did it come from And where did it go It requires a fight Not tweeting from your phone Don't need a king Get them off the fucking throne If you're riding with the thought You've always got a home The virus is scared of Will come and it'll go The government knows this. don't get treated like a hoe